0: This is The Culture Code with Kevin Cruz, founder and CEO of LeadX, the platform that helps you scale and sustain a high-performance culture.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Cruz. Welcome to Culture Code. Our guest today is the VP of Talent and Organizational Development at Collectors, Dr. Eliza Witcher. Eliza, good to see you again. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Great to see you too, Kevin. We met um, years ago at I think it was like a CLO forum or event. And you presented back then a model for leadership development that blew me away. And um, to this day, Even though that article that I wrote about your your leadership development model is several years old now, I still send people to it because I think it was such a simple, logical, impactful model. We're talking about broader cultural things here today, but you really have impacted a lot of people over the last years just by sharing that work from that CLO event. So thanks for that.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much. You know, we were really proud of that work and I definitely view it as very much tied to culture because, you know, at the end of the day, you're just trying to achieve behavior change at scale. And getting a whole lot of people to do some tweaks in their behavior is never easy, but I think always really impactful if you can pull it off. So yeah, we were we were very proud of that work. And I'm really glad that that piece has been helpful for people that you know.
1: Yeah, great minds think alike. Our listeners will know I'm always talking about behavior change at scale. So that's great. So l- let's start here at the beginning. Collectors is kind of a cool company, a little bit different. So for those who aren't familiar with it, Tell us about uh, what does the company do? How big is the company?
2: Yeah, it is a really, really neat space. Collectors helps collectors pursue their passion by providing industry-leading authentication and grading, among other offerings. So basically what we want to do is inspire the world to collect by making it safe, easy, and fun. We currently have close to 2,000 employees across our locations in and outside of the U.S.
1: Now. I think I understand what you do, but let's make it even more basic. So who is your customer? Is it someone who wants to verify an autograph or is it the professionals that are dealing in collectibles? Tell me a little bit more about that.
2: Yeah, all of those people and more. Our customers are everything from, yeah, a person who wants to verify an autograph, somebody with an extensive baseball card collection who wants us to authenticate and grade their cards so that they can sell that card for what it is worth. It could be a coin collector or coin dealer who has a number of really exciting coins that they send to us to authenticate and grade. Um, One thing I didn't realize was big in the coin world is that you do get a lot of fakes. And so the authentication piece becomes really, really important. We have some just amazing, amazing experts in the company who are really skilled and just know this stuff in a way that's incredibly rare. So it's really cool to see. It's incredibly cool just to see some of the stuff that that comes through our doors. We do have a vault tied to our PSA part of the business. PSA is the card authentication and grading part of the business. So they do autographs and other memorabilia as well. And so uh, with that PSA business, we have this vault where people will actually vault really expensive, incredible items with us. So it's just a really neat business to get to see some of the cool stuff that is out there in people's collections.
1: I feel like if you don't already have it, you need to launch a Sunday cable show or something (laughs) showing all the people who are excited by the authenticated uh, collectible and all those people whose dreams are dashed when they found out they bought a fake or something like it'd be, it'd be exciting TV. (laughs) <laughs> it would be. And,
2: you know, it's funny you should mention it. We actually have a Netflix series. What? Um, I didn't even know. Well, it's about um one of our um, brands, Golden. And Golden is really like a high-end auction service. So it's truly a platform where people can buy and sell like incredible, incredible items. And so um, that Netflix show has uh, <laughs> definitely been a big hit out there because people are able just to see like some of the cool stuff and cool collections that are out there.
1: And set the context, 2,000 employees a little bit bigger than I I realized. Where's headquarters? Are you, you know, everyone's curious these days, are you hybrid? Are you remote first? Is everyone back to work? Where have you um, fallen on that?
2: Yeah, so our headquarters is in Santa Ana, California. We also have a relatively new office in Jersey City, New Jersey. We have a small office in Seattle. We are soon to open an office in the Bay Area. We have an operation in China, in Hong Kong, in Japan, and a small operation in France. And we just established a very small entity in Canada. So we're expanding there as well.
1: Truly global. That's impressive. So when it comes to company culture... Great culture. You can see it. It's sometimes hard to describe uh, what it is. So, how would you describe it to an outsider? What is the culture of collectors?
2: Yeah, I would say our culture is very much friendly. It's informal. There's a ton of passion around the hobby. And it's a really fun culture. It's a place where people are very passionate about the hobby, very passionate about items and making sure we treat things with care. But we also are. Able to have a lot of fun with each other and just get really into some of the cool stuff that comes
1: through the door. Did you quickly have to come up with a collecting hobby uh, once you <laughs> joined the company?
2: I did not. You know, I am not a, I'm not a collector, but it's been absolutely fascinating to learn about collecting. So it's uh, definitely a business that has not been boring to learn about.
1: Yeah, I'm sort of a minimalist. I don't get attached to too many things. But I have some first edition books, uh, autograph books that I enjoy. So I've I've got a little bit of it in me. So you've got 2,000 employees, super cool company, global. How do you foster or or maintain this culture throughout the company?
2: Yeah, it's a really interesting company because in a lot of ways, we are like a 40-year-old startup. So the headquarters in Santa Ana, we've had people working there for decades. Mm. And a lot of the folks working there, you know, we've got family members and friends working side by side. So we want to strive to maintain those relationships, the deep expertise that we have, the passion that we have that have made us successful over the long term. But at the same time, the last couple of years, we've seen tremendous growth and change. And as I just mentioned, we've got a lot of global things happening as well. And so in between global offices, global operations, a number of people who do work remotely, although we are encouraging employees to come back to the office who are within a reasonable distance of an office. When we think about all that, we really want to build on the strong foundation that we have, which is a unique culture and a unique place given what we do. So we are on a multi-year journey to evolve the culture, to drive a more innovative, more customer-centric, more effective business. We will do that by building on what we already have. So many of our employees collect everything from Pokemon cards to Super Bowl tickets and everything you can imagine. We have events like trade nights and game nights, as well as very active Slack channels where employees share just about every collectible you can imagine. So it's very important for us to maintain that passion of the hobby. So even though we are striving to be more innovative, more customer-centric, more effective as a business, we still want to maintain just that passion and the fun and the relationships that we have in the company.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Now, as you know, and we sort of started with this, like I'm most passionate about leadership development, management training, Gallup research, Leadex research suggests that Upwards of 70% of the variance in engagement, how we feel about work, is tied back to who our manager is. And Eliza, you probably won't remember this. I'm sure you don't remember this. When we met years ago, you actually challenged me on the day. You're like, nah, I think it's probably more like 40 or 50%. Like, the yeah. what the company does <laughs> is more important than who the manager is. So I remember that conversation even now. Yeah. But regardless, manager is obviously a big variable in uh, employee engagement, the overall employee experience. You're not a huge company. I bet you don't have a ton of resources to devote to this area, but why don't you share Like, how are you training and supporting your frontline leaders?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And fundamentally, I absolutely agree. It is critical to have good, effective managers. It's absolutely critical. And, and I do think it's the single most important factor in a person's engagement, Now, there are going to be other things, even just like the personality of the person, right? Like some people are going to be just more happy with things. Some people are going to be less happy with things just by nature of who they are. So there's a lot going on there. But we absolutely recognize how critical the role of the manager is because that's really like the way that most people experience their organization is kind of through that manager. One of our company values is bring out the best in everyone. and certainly managers are absolutely essential to doing that and to building an engaged and high-performing workforce. So many of our tenured managers have never received education on how to manage well. And we're still building out many of the processes and practices that guide strong people management. So last year, we revamped our performance review process to be more consistent, more in line with best practice, and really just, I think, more so driving what the company's trying to do. The company really prior to two, three years ago was a much smaller company. And so a lot of those kind of processes or tools or programs were very much in the process of building out and scaling. So that's been just a phenomenal journey because our employees and our managers are just hungry for stuff. Like they are just so willing and so ready to really try anything that we'll put in place for them, which has been just an amazing way to work. So much like what you and I talked about a few years ago, in terms of putting in place kind of a really a big picture approach to how do we develop managers, but really kind of achieve that behavior change at scale. We've got a few things that we're we're working on. First thing is that we are setting clear expectations with our managers. So as I mentioned, a lot of our managers, they've never received any training, any guidance. They were promoted into their job because they were good at what they were doing, but there wasn't a lot of scaffolding to help them out. And so what we're hoping to do with kind of setting those expectations with all of our managers is just get everybody on the same page of what does it look like day to day to be an effective manager? So things like having regular one on ones, things like giving effective feedback, those table stakes behaviors of good managers. We want all of our managers to understand. Here's a small list of things that, you know, everyone really should be doing. And so we've, um, I really simplified that to six behaviors. We're asking everybody to really focus on. We're in the process of educating our managers on those behaviors through a workshop that goes through what we're looking for from managers as well as the existing resources that we have available. Like we launched a really great one-on-one tool just a couple of weeks ago. Mm. And so that that kind of syncs really nicely with this is that we're not just saying please do these things. But we're also helping people understand, here are some tools available to help you. And by the way, we're going to be rolling out a lot more. And so our plan for next year is a lot of modular training on these skills. So things like giving effective feedback, for example. Mm -hmm. We are planning to do a um, feeding up assessment. So a way for managers to get feedback directly from their team members on how they're doing in these areas. We'll be launching that early next year. And of course, the long-term goal is to really kind of make this a part of how we assess performance, how we make decisions about promotions. And so we really want to be looking at the whole big picture in terms of setting expectations, giving people the skills and the tools to meet those expectations, providing that continuous feedback, and then holding ourselves accountable to make sure that we are living what we want people to do. So we're very much in the early days of that process, but we are super excited to see the impact of our focus on manager development.
1: Yeah, Liza, and just for, I I wanna make sure our listeners um, picked up on a couple of things because first of all, it's great that you're focusing on the fundamentals, at least fundamentals first, giving effective feedback. And yet you also said feeding up. So it's like a lot of people forget about the importance of getting or receiving feedback. And I remember that was a critical part of your program that you described years ago. Tell us more about, I think you're referencing this idea of like doing a manager effectiveness, what some people would call a manager effectiveness survey, you know, getting sort of graded by your direct reports uh, on things. Tell us more about that or any other employee voice practices that you have there at Collectors.
2: Yeah. And this is actually a great example of, you know, culturally, we already have just a really good culture of listening to our employees. So for example, our employees often email our CEO directly with their ideas, with their feedback, and he's very engaged with our employees. So that's just kind of part of how we do things. We have a monthly ask me anything session with our CEO where employees truly can ask our CEO, Nat, any question that's on their mind and he'll answer it. So It's very much already kind of baked into what we do, but what us in HR are able to do is really just take that a step further, formalize it, put a little bit more data around these things. And so we recently launched an employee survey, an employee engagement survey through Culture Amp that will run twice a year and be really just our standard employee listening tool, we're also in the process of developing and updating employee lifecycle surveys, like onboarding surveys, offboarding surveys. Of course, that manager effectiveness survey is going to be a key part of employee listening. And so, through those survey tools, we're just looking to make things a bit more rigorous and have data that's a bit more crisp. But a lot of these really great practices are, are already happening.
1: That's great. You've talked about so many of these great practices already from the AMAs to the measuring, the training initiatives. Are there any other initiatives that you want to share with us? Anything that you're particularly proud of or that you've been happy with the results of?
2: Yeah, one thing that um, actually really recent. So we saw when we launched the new employee engagement survey, one of our top opportunity areas is around employee recognition. So employees told us loud and clear that they want more recognition for the good work that they're doing every day. So, our leadership team was very much focused in on that as we need to take action on that. We quickly launched a tool called Shoutouts through CultureAMP. So, CultureAMP is who we use for the employee survey. They have this recognition tool on their platform. It was super easy to implement. It's a very simple tool. It's basically, people just go into Slack and kind of shout out the good behavior they see from one of their colleagues. And the response to this has utterly exceeded my expectations. I have to be honest, I kind of went in thinking, well, you know, it's a simple tool. I think if we are really good about driving people to the tool, we'll hopefully get good adoption. But it just blew up. And I think it really taught us a lot about just how much pent up demand there was for a way for people to just kind of pat each other on the back and say, thank you, good job, that was great. Cause there is so much really good work happening in the company. So that's been a really phenomenal experience for us. We do have emojis that people can select that represent the collector's values. So it's just another way that if somebody, you know does a shout out in Slack, you can add your emoji. It's just another way to recognize the things that are important to us as a company. And another really cool benefit that really we did not expect is that based on the descriptions people are putting into the shout outs of what they've seen from their colleagues, it's actually a great tool to learn about what other people are doing, what's going on in the rest of the company. And so we have really seen just great recognition, positivity, and really good just kind of learning and awareness come out of that tool. So that's been, I think, a really easy way to not only reinforce what we want to be seeing, but also really just, you know, the the culture I think is so enhanced because people are not just calling out a good work practice, but hey, like this item that was so important or so special to someone, you took extra great care of that or the way you resolved a customer issue. So it's really connecting people to the bigger picture of our business and our mission.
1: So with the shout out tool, I'm curious, is the reward Pretty much the recognition itself, or are you tying any other kind of points or Mm -hmm. lottery tickets or other ways to that people, you know, get something extra out of that? What are you doing with those with that motivation?
2: You know, it's definitely a question that's come up and a conversation we're having. I think as a first step, we really just want to encourage the behavior. And I think this is important for us because we have evolved from a much smaller company. We're still pretty small, but we were even smaller still. And that evolution happened pretty quickly. So there's a lot of just kind of behaviors and practices that we really want to instill in our employees. And so I think that getting there with the behavior is so key, even as we're training our managers to give more effective feedback. Like there's so much overlap with the recognition piece because like, you don't want to just say good job. You want that recognition to be specific. You want to reference, you know, a behavior that ideally you'd like to see happen again and again. And so these things are so linked because we want feedback for managers to be following similar kind of guidelines. It should be specific. It should be based on behavior that sometimes you want to see more of, sometimes you want to see less of, right? So I think that there are just a lot of these behaviors we really want to get people comfortable with. Eventually, I think it's possible we could evolve to something where there are awards or rewards tied to the recognition. But right now, there's just so much energy with just doing the behavior that we're really focusing on that piece. We are also looking at just other sources of recognition. So kind of thinking through like our department awards or awards for special projects, And, you know, historically teams have just kind of handled that on their own, but we're working on bringing together a group of people who are from different parts of the business and can help advise on just what are different parts of the business doing? How are they handling things? So we can be kind of consistent about how we do the awards, especially when they are tied to a reward of some sort. But also, you know, just for idea sharing, we've been able to do just really cool stuff internally. Like there's an award that we we give for kind of these special cross-functional projects where the winners of the award, they get an actual baseball card or sports card that's made of them and that's sealed in one of our containers. So yeah, for our people, it's cool. It's really meaningful stuff. And so I think there's even more we can do in that space.
1: Yeah. And Eliza, I ask is it's another recognition is another thing as a major driver of engagement that I've done a lot of research and fascinating just for our our listeners. You said some really interesting things in there. Good reminders, which is a lot of times people will be familiar with giving feedback in a constructive fashion. And they think about like an SBI model situation, behavior impact. But in a best practice, you're using that when it's positive feedback as well or positive recognition. Let them know what the behavior was that is standing out. Let everybody else know what's going to get recognized. And I often talk about you can turn recognition into strategic recognition by tying it back to a corporate value or uh, an annual goal. So it's, thanks, Eliza, for doing this thing. It shows your dedication to our second value, you know, whatever that might be. It's interesting. I caution organizations when it comes to monetizing that recognition or the awards. I'm not against, like, I don't wanna ban all awards, but you have to realize that if you give an award, then like the winner circle is so small that there's an outer circle of people who are like, how come I didn't get that award? Or I'm just as deserving. So did you engage one person and disengage a handful? Right, <laughs> so you right. really have to be careful. And of course, the thing that drives employee engagement is that feeling of my work counts and people care yes. about me. It's yes. not the Starbucks card. It's not right. the calendar you picked out of a catalog or yeah. the goofy things that companies do. So I applaud you on the way you're rolling it out now and being careful with taking it the next step. So this is a short format podcast. So we're running out of time, but I've got a couple more fun questions I want to run your way. Mm-hmm. And so imagine, you know, you could wave a magic wand and send any book or podcast or some other, uh, maybe a Netflix special, um, to to all your employees, and they'd be guaranteed to read it, to take it to heart. What would you send to people? What would you want them to consume? Yeah,
2: there's this book called The Trusted Advisor by David, I think his name is pronounced Maester, but I'm not sure. You know, this is a book that a mentor recommended to me early in my career, and it really shaped how I think about my role as really being part of an organization. And what I loved about that book is that it addresses what I think a lot of people spend a lot of time doing at work, which is influencing others. And I think a lot of times when people think about influencing others, they think from very much their own perspective like, I'm going to make a really strong argument and highlight what I can do in this situation. But what the book really talks about is that understanding others' needs is essential to earning trust and influence. And I've found in my career that the more I focus on others' needs, the more impactful I am. And so that's one of those things that I think may not be relevant to every single person, but it's a book that I got tremendous value out of. And I think for a lot of people, kind of putting the pressure off of me as the influencer and really thinking about, what do you as my partner or my client, what do you need? It really brings about a lot more creativity, a lot more trust, better partnership. And in any organization, relationships and collaboration are so, so important. So that book is just a winner for me.
1: Eliza, I love this recommendation, The Trust Advisor, because so very few people these days I I hear talk about that book. So it's sort of a a secret gem. I think I read it 25 years ago. (laughs) It was written more for, you know, originally for, I think like professional service firms, consultants and stuff. Mm -hmm. And yet exactly like I said, any of us, if we want to be viewed as a trusted confidant, an advisor to our boss, to our peers, to our internal customers, it's so valuable. It's one of the few hardcover books I keep on my bookshelf, you know, as like something to go back to over and over again. I love that book. It's It's a
2: good good one. And you know, and I found when I've coached leaders, one thing I've heard is this kind of statement or feeling like, I just want people to listen to me more. Like, why aren't people listening to me? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this book kind of gets at that. Like, ultimately, we all want other people to listen to us. And if we reframe what it takes to get there, it might help us get there a little bit better or easier or faster. So it's one I've, I've recommended in, in coaching settings as well.
1: Yeah, that's great. Here's another uh, magic wand question for you. Wave your magic wand again. All your colleagues could just get a little better at a particular skill or they lean into a particular strength. What might that be?
2: Oh, you know, I think for us, it's really like stakeholder management slash the people side of change management i think that every organization could use improvement in this area i've yeah. never worked i've never worked in an organization that didn't need some improvement in this area but for us you know we've seen tremendous growth in the last couple of years we are getting exponentially more complex more sophisticated as a company there's just a lot going on and basically what it took to navigate this organization a couple of years ago is very different than what it takes to navigate the organization today. So I think that that for us is particularly important because the scale has changed. The complexity has changed. We're in a business that is ever evolving, an industry that is, it's not, I mean, in some ways it's a mature-ish industry, but in many other ways it's really not. And given our focus on technology and how can we really drive this industry forward through technology, we really have to be very nimble and adaptive. And so I think having that mindset of who are my key stakeholders? What do they need to know? What do they need to do? What do they need from me? Really having that kind of outward view of who are these individuals or groups? How do I navigate them? How do I, in a systematic way, drive change? Through others and with others. That is something that I think we could all get better at, but especially for us at collectors right now, is something that is really critically important.
1: Usually, I always end with a wrap up question, but before I go there, I'm going to hit you with something off script. Yeah. <laughs> Buckle up. Here goes. So, okay. something I'm curious about. So, you have your PhD, you are an IO psychologist. Which I think is perfect background for anyone in leadership, culture, employee experience, CHRO, CPO, all these roles. And it's incredibly rare, very, very rare. So, why do you think that is? And do you think with your rigorous academic background, has that been a help or has it been a frustration at times being a <laughs> practitioner now in the real world?
2: It's a great question. You know, I'll kind of address that, that help or hindrance piece. And it's been both at different times. I think probably the most helpful thing is just the knowledge that a lot of the questions that people have about people stuff related to business or organizations, you're not the first person to ask that question. And oftentimes there's a reasonable amount of data out there that can help you get to a decision that's more than just my opinion, right? So I think that kind of rigor of like, well, is there like, evidence on this that I can take a look at to guide my judgment is I think that's super helpful. A hindrance at times, you know, I think sometimes people have perceptions about what a person's kind of educational background can or cannot bring to a situation. So you know there's some of that. I am honestly surprised there aren't more of us in these types of roles because we are I think we are very well suited to them. I think probably one thing that holds up people a little bit is especially earlier in career, it's like you want to use what you went to school for. Mm-hmm. And in my job today, there's not that much that I use that I went to school for. Like there are general things that I will forever use. Like there are, you know, theories of human motivation, yeah. for example, that like I use every single day. And I I can kind of see that theory in my head and I know where to troubleshoot to get the right result from like somebody I'm managing, for example, right? So those things are there, but I'm not like running regression analyses on stuff. I haven't done that in years, which is good and bad. Now there there are people who can do that way better than I can using tools (laughs) I have no idea even exist. But I think that sometimes people kind of, you know, they want to use what they went to school for. And so part of my journey was really letting go of the what I went to school for and embracing that there are all these other challenges out there where you can really still apply excellent critical thinking, you know, look at data and evidence to guide your judgments. And I actually have found that probably the roles where I've had like the most impact and influence have not been the roles where I'm flexing those technical skills as much, yeah. right? So that's been my journey, but you know, I'd be interested to see what other IO psychologists have seen.
1: Well, and it's interesting not to go too deep on this, but it, if I look, especially in larger organizations, there does seem to be a push now for data analytics, HR yeah. analytics, which yeah. is great. So let's measure it and, and go take data-driven approaches. And yet at the same time, I will often suggest data-driven answers. And the folks in the organizations, I mean, will just say data has its place, but that doesn't jive with my experience. Like they're just more intuitive and they lean on experience. And <laughs> so I sort of see these <laughs> dual forces out there, yeah. in the, at least in the marketplace. So let's just uh, wrap up with this, with everything that's going on. Um, what excites you the most uh, about your company right now? Yeah. I mean, I think just the
2: growth and the change. We just launched our first ever company-wide innovation initiative. It's Mm -hmm. open to everyone in the company. We know there are going to be some really cool creative ideas coming forward. I've already heard a few of them. So that's just so exciting to me that we're getting to do this. And it's not, you know, a company's like 20th round of doing it. This is our first one. And we are really writing the playbook as we're playing the game. We are constantly doing new things trying new things when i look at the people team we have been doing a lot to improve our employee data and the data accessibility but our next step is going to be to start pulling insights out of that data and thinking through how can we use that data and to inform our people strategy and our practices going forward so there's just so much space for creative ideas and creative solutions and i'm just very excited about all of it
1: that's great Congratulations on all the work uh, that you're doing in such a fun and uh, and passionate company. It was great to reconnect and to geek out, especially on the leadership stuff again. Dr. Eliza Witcher, thanks for your time today. Thank you so
2: much, great to be here.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Culture Code Podcast. Are you looking to build, refine, or revamp a training program? We team up with companies like Northwestern Mutual, Cineos Health, and Duck Creek Technologies to roll out highly engaging training series for emerging leaders, new managers, women in leadership, high potential managers, sales enablement, and more. Check it out at LeadX.org. What makes these series so uniquely engaging? We help you build a full system of development that leverages our cutting-edge platform and world-class training. We blend together world class cohort based virtual training and group coaching, personalized nudges, micro learning, and on demand office hour style coaching. Go check it out at leadx.org. <laughs>